Last week, Jeff preached a one-off sermon from Proverbs on words that wound. And um, this week, we are back in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew that we've been going through as a church. Uh, We've done some last year. We picked it up again at the beginning of this year. Um, So I'm going to be preaching from Matthew's Gospel. I'm going to pray and then I'll read to you from Matthew chapter 18. Um, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love the Bible. We love your word because we love you. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, I pray it wouldn't just be words in a book, but it'd be words that speak to us and change us and shape our lives so that we as a church might do what is right in your sight and so that we as individual Christians might grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ day by day. So come move in this place in power. Change our hearts and shape us as a church for your glory we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to remember two weeks ago we read Matthew 18 verses 1 to 9 and Jesus' disciples are having an argument. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I want to be Jesus's right hand man. I want to make sure I'm the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So they're they're arguing, they're discussing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus responds to this argument, to this discussion by taking a child and getting the child to stand in the middle of them, before them. And he says to his disciples, I want you to have humility. I want you to have the humility of a child who in that society was small, little and insignificant. I want you to be like this child. I want you to be humble. In fact, I don't just want you to be humble, but I also want you to receive and love and care for children just like this. And then Jesus turns and becomes quite stronger, uh, much stronger in his teaching. He says, if you cause a child like this to sin, that is a very terrible thing. It'd be better for you if you died rather than causing a child to be led into sin and temptation. And Jesus adds on the end, two weeks ago, you can listen to the sermon, don't sin yourself. And um, Pull yourself back from temptation. Don't fall into sin yourself, but absolutely don't lead other people into sin. Uh, And so Jesus' message in in the first half of Matthew 18 is a powerful message about sin and doing things wrong in our lives. Um, You can listen to that sermon. With the child still in front of him, with the child still in the midst of the disciples, all learning from Jesus, Jesus continues to teach. And we're going to read Matthew 18, verses 10, and I'm going to go through to verse 22. I was originally going to stop at verse 20, but just because of what's come through in the worship this morning, I'm going to read to verse 22. So I'm going to read Matthew 18, 10 to 20, which will appear on the screen, and then I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 as well to you. This is what Jesus says with a child in front of him, speaking to his disciples. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So... It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two, or th if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Jesus, teaching his disciples, tells the parable of the lost sheep in verses 10 to 14. And if you've been in churches um, quite a long time, you're probably quite familiar with the parable of the lost sheep. You've probably heard it read, you've probably heard it preached on. But that story is normally preached on from Luke chapter 15. Because Luke, Luke has a version of Jesus's life, the Gospel of Luke. He tells the story of Jesus's life. And Matthew, one of his disciples, has a, has a version of Jesus's life. We have four Gospels in the Bible and they each tell the story of Jesus from different perspectives. So the parable of the lost sheep is told here in Matthew chapter 18, but it's also in Luke chapter 15. And when churches like to preach the parable of the lost sheep, they tend to preach it from Luke chapter 15. I just want to read to you. Luke chapter 15, and I want, to, I want you to see if you can spot any differences as I read this to you. I'm just going to read Luke 15, verses 1 to 4. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that has lost until he finds it. I won't read the whole story from Luke chapter 15, but I wanted to read the introduction because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is teaching a different audience. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. Perhaps on this side, you guys can be the sinners and the tax collectors in Luke chapter, sorry about that. Yeah, Jeff's pleased with that. And on the other side, he has the Pharisees. So you guys can be Pharisees, not much better. Um, in Luke chapter 15, that's the audience that Jesus is teaching, Pharisees and sinners and tax collectors. And the religious Pharisees are getting really angry because Jesus is hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors, the people who they, they think they're not worthy to hang out with Jesus. Jesus, Why is Jesus eating with them? So the Pharisees are getting really angry. You know, there's kind of... They're not looking at the preacher, they're looking at one another, getting angry with each other and getting angry with Jesus as well. I pointed to me when I said Jesus, I shouldn't have done that. But in the context of this story, you've got the sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees and Jesus doing the teaching. But, you know, Jesus is I'm nothing like Jesus. He's so holy and glorious. Um, anyway, that's the context. That's the audience that Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep to in Luke chapter 15. And the message of that story in Luke 15 is whoever you are, Whatever you've done, repent, turn from your sin, come to Jesus in faith. You won't find judgment and criticism if you do that. 
you will find mercy. In fact, heaven will throw a party for you. If, you're, if, you, if you feel like you're a long way from God and you turn from the things you've done wrong in your life and you come to Jesus and believe in him and ask for mercy, the response of heaven is to say, let's get the angels together and let's throw a massive party. God loves it when people who are far from him turn and come back to him and receive him in faith. And in fact, another part of that story is that Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the one who goes looking. So it's not just you turning and coming back, but it's the shepherd, Jesus Christ, going to find you because he loves you and he, he wants you to be saved. So he goes out looking for you and rescues and brings you back into the sheepfold. This is a story for people who feel far off from God repenting and being welcome in God's family and a party being thrown in heaven. There's also a message for the Pharisees. Stop judging. Stop excluding. The mercy of God, the forgiveness of God is for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, whatever they've done and wherever they're coming from. So there's a message for the sinners and the tax collectors and there's a message for the Pharisees in Luke chapter 15. But now look at Matthew 18. Jesus isn't talking to Pharisees and sinners and tax collectors in Matthew chapter 18. He's talking to his disciples. And I believe that Jesus told this same parable twice to two different audiences. And although much of the story is the same, the effect and the application is different. If I was to go out on the streets of Fairham and tell a story uh, and to, to reach people who'd never been to church before, I would use the story in a slightly different way than if I was preaching a sermon and delivering a story in this environment with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He uses the same story, but to a different group of people. And he teaches something magnificent. Jesus is just such a brilliant teacher, isn't he? He's using one story in one context and it's, and it's so powerful to people who are far from God. And then in Matthew chapter 18, he takes the same story and he uses it to challenge his disciples. There's a different emphasis in Matthew chapter 18 because of the different audience. And really what Jesus is teaching here is how does the parable of the sheep affect life inside of the church? In, in Luke 15, it was, how does the parable of the sheep teach people who are miles away from God that they can come and enter into the family of God and be part of the church? But in Matthew 18, Jesus is telling this story for his disciples, for people who are already following him. And it comes with a different emphasis. Let me put it this way. In Luke 15, the message is Jesus loves the lost. Jesus loves those outside of the church so much he goes on a mission to find them and rescue them. In Matthew 18... The emphasis is this, Jesus and God the Father loves his children in the church so much he brings them back even when they go astray in sin. He cares deeply for his children. That's the message here in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus and God the Father cares deeply for his children. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, you should be encouraged by this message, encouraged by this story Jesus cares for you so that even when you go astray, when you, even when you've, you give in to temptation, Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to go and find you and the Father is going to rejoice as you, you come back to him in a sense. So let's look in more detail at this story in Matthew 18. And the first thing I want you to see is that God the Father cares 
for his little children. I believe the child in the midst of the disciples becomes a metaphor for all Christians in this moment of teaching. By little children, I really mean all Christians because Jesus has already said in verse three, if we're to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to become like little children. So this little child is a metaphor for all Christians. And there are two clear indicators in this passage that the father cares deeply for his children. Firstly, in verse 10, Jesus says, Do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. It's a curious verse, isn't it? I tell you, this child has an angel in heaven who's seeing my father's face. And some have used this verse to teach specific guardian angels for individuals. So I might say, I have a guardian angel. There's Duncan's angel in heaven. That's how some people have used the verse to say that every Christian, every child has a guardian angel in heaven who sees the father. Now, I'm, I'm I don't think the text pushes it that far. I don't think that the text clearly teaches that there is an angel whose sole responsibility is to guard me. But I think what this text does teach is that there are a group of angels who are instructed by the Father to guard and to serve and to love and minister to Christians. Jeff's giving me the eyes here, so no. (laughs) There are a group of angels in heaven who are instructed by the Father to love and guard Christians. That's, that's what this verse is saying. When, when Jesus says there's angels who see the face of my father, he's, he's, he's saying, when I was in heaven, I saw this. The father gathered a group of angels to him and said, angels, you're seeing my face. I'm giving you instructions. Your job is to guard my children whom I love. The world might deny the spiritual and say the physical, the things that we can touch and see is all there is. Although I think if you really speak to your friends who are outside the church, I think they do have some belief in something spiritual going on in this world. I think most people do. But kind of overtly, they're maybe a bit shy of it and not prepared to admit it. But overtly, the world says that what is physical is all there is. Well, we believe that there is a spiritual realm, that there are angels in this world. There are demons in this world. There are things going on spiritually. And we are encouraged by the clarity of this passage That yes, there is Satan. Yes, there are demons who seek to accuse and influence and and drive evil in this world. But there are also angels in this world who do the will of God the Father. Of course, the demons and Satan are living on borrowed time for Jesus Christ in his death upon the cross and resurrection from the dead defeated Satan and defeated these demons. So they they have very little time remaining whereas the Father and his angels and his children, that's us, will live for eternity. God, sometimes by his own hand and sometimes through his angels, works good in this world. And because God's power is infinite, he always triumphs over evil. Let me read you some verses about angels in the Bible. Psalm 91 verse 11. For God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. That's a verse that's applied to Jesus in in some cases, but it's also a verse that's given to the Israelites and given to God's people. In Hebrews 1 verse 14, this is what the writer of Hebrews says about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? 
I love that verse. The angels, their job is to serve Christians who are going to inherit salvation. That's, that's what angels are there for. And this is what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 18. Don't despise this child. Don't despise other Christians. God cares about them so much. He has an army of angels whose job it is to serve and to love and to protect and to guard Christians. If God's got this group of angels whose job it is to love Christians, to serve Christians, who are you, if you call yourself a disciple, to despise other Christians, to despise the children of God? Angels guard and serve us all under the instruction of the Father who they see face to face. Such is the Father's care for us. But then Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, doesn't he? Or the straying sheep. A man, a shepherd, caring for the one sheep, leaving the 99 behind to go and search for the one sheep. It's a picture of Christ, the good shepherd, who brings us back even when we go astray. The parable ends in verse 14 with the second verse that really speaks about the Father's care for us. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. The Father loves you. He cares for you if you're a child of God. He doesn't want you to perish. He's got his angels before him who are going out to care for you. And he loves you. It's not his will that you should perish. That's the message of the parable of the straying sheep. So the first point of this parable is that God cares for little ones who believe in Jesus Christ. He commands angels to guard and serve you. And when, he, when you go astray, he will rejoice as he brings you back. Just for a moment, just dwell in that place, considering and reflecting on the care that the Father has for you if you're a little child of God. Be moved by God's love for you. Be moved by his tenderness and protection over you. Isn't it a wonderful, wonderful thing to know how much God the Father loves and cares for us? But this is not just a story about who God is. There's also an application to the disciples who are listening to Jesus and there's an application for us as Christians and the application is in verse 10 as well. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. If God so cares for his children, if God so cares for Christians and disciples of Christ, we must also care and love and not despise little children who believe in Jesus Christ. If you would call yourself a Christian this morning, there is a call on you from this story in Matthew chapter 18 to be like the shepherd, to be like Jesus, and to not despise but care for the other sheep in the sheepfold in which you are living. And I tell you the truth, I think there's a temptation for older Christians, more mature Christians, to despise rather than love younger Christians who are more vulnerable and less confident. I think there's a temptation. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I wonder what your heart is towards the other Christians in the room, Christians who you might see as less mature than yourself. Have you got a heart of care and love and kindness and compassion like Jesus has? Or have you got a heart of bitterness and resenting and frustration and and, a negative like we should be like the shepherd we should love and care for the little sheep just as Jesus does so how do we despise how do we despise God's little children 
Well, I want to refer you back to last week. I think the first way we might despise God's little children is by seeking our own greatness rather than serving others. Think back two weeks ago and the disciples arguing in verse 1 of chapter 18. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That is an example of the disciples despising God's little ones. They're not caring and serving for this child. They're arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you think church is about your platform, your gifts being exalted and paraded, if you think church is about you being built up and receiving everything you need, then you're seeking your own greatness and you're despising others as you come and be a part of the church with that attitude. But if you think that church is a group of people whom you want to serve, whom you want to love and care for, you come to, on a Sunday to give and not receive. Sundays and life groups and weekly life in the church is about serving others, loving and caring for others, not receiving and being exalted yourself, but building others up. Then you are loving the little ones of God that Jesus is referring to in this passage. And Jesus says about those people who come to serve, that's what it is. That's what greatness in the kingdom of heaven really is. It's serving and loving and showing kindness to the other people in the church. So that's one way we can despise God's little children, by seeking our own greatness rather than serving others. A second way, again, I spoke about this two weeks ago, but a second way we can despise God's little children is by tempting others to sin. Do you remember we spoke about verse six two weeks ago, which is a powerful, frightening verse basically says it's better for you to die than for you to tempt other Christians into sin. And we spoke about gossip and slander and coarse joking. And all of those things are not just sins in and of themselves, they're also sins that draw other people into your sin and your evil. This is a form of despising God's children. Now, if, you, if you're a parent, you want to teach your child and lead your child into the ways of good, into good things. And yet sometimes as Christians, we can pull others into our own sin and involve them as well through gossip and slander and coarse joking and other areas of our life. So are you despising God's little children by tempting others to sin? I think that's a way we can do it. But the main application and theme that Jesus draws out and the third way which we can despise God's little children is by not having a robust way of handling sin in the church. That's what verses 15 to 17 is all about. Jesus tells the story of the parable of the straying sheep. He talks about God the Father's love for those who stray and Jesus' desire to pull them back into the fold. And then he starts talking about church discipline in verses 15 to 18. I want to ask you a question. What do we do when someone in the church sins against us? What do we do when someone in the church sins against us? And it will happen. It will happen. Because none of us are perfect. All of us are growing in Christ-likeness day by day, week by week. We make mistakes and we do things wrong. So what should we do when someone in the church sins against us? Well, I think there's a four-stage process in Matthew chapter 18, which is a response to the parable of the straying sheep. And stage one of this process is go and speak to the person yourself. 
You can see that in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. In the church, there should be conversations like this. Hey, just so you know, you said something the other day to me and it hurt me, it upset me. Hey, you said you were going to do something that would have really helped me out and you haven't done it. Hey, you were, you were gossiping the other day. You were saying this and it was unhelpful for me. You've sinned against me. If someone has sinned against you in the church, don't let bitterness fester. Don't despise your brothers and sisters by not telling them the thing that they've done wrong. But go warmly and wisely and lovingly Because we love each other, don't we? We're the church. Jesus has loved us and therefore we show each other the love that Jesus has shown to one another. And one way we do that is by saying, hey, we've had a falling out or something's gone wrong. Can we talk about that? And and revealing sin to one another. That's maturity in Christ when those kinds of conversations are happening in church. Immaturity is ignoring it and doing nothing about the sin. But maturity is having those conversations with one another in love and kindness. And of course, the ideal response to that kind of conversation is, oh man, yeah, you're right. I really didn't get that right. I'm really sorry that I hurt you. I'm so grateful for G- to Jesus for dying on the cross for the things that I've done wrong. So I'm forgiven. You know, it's a really holy answer. It doesn't have to be this long. But the ideal response is, thank you, Jesus. And thank you to you for sharing that. That was bold. That was brave. I'm going to repent and turn from my sin. That's what should happen in these conversations. So be prepared to tell other people about things that they've done to hurt you, but also be prepared for others to come and say to you, hey, this happened. And let's be ready to respond gently and go, yeah. You know, if if we regularly confess our sins to God, if we admit that we've done things wrong to God, then when someone comes and tells us that we've done something wrong that's hurt them, we shouldn't be very surprised. But if we if we don't have that relationship with God, if we're not if we're not confessing to God that we've done things wrong, then we probably go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm not a sinner, how dare you tell me that? So we need to be soft-hearted and realise that we do things wrong all the time. I know that I do things wrong all the time. I've made so many mistakes. We've been going three and a half years. I've made so many mistakes in this church and I'm sorry for those times I've made mistakes. But I'm grateful to God because he has been faithful and he's grown this church and done amazing things in our midst. But I make mistakes all the time. So I'm, I like to think anyway... I'm not afraid for you to come and say, hey, Duncan, you did this. Or to, hopefully the other elders would say the same. Hey, you did this. We're going to be gentle with that. We're going to accept that. And we're going to acknowledge that we're sinners and we get things wrong. And hopefully we should all be like that in our attitude. So that's stage one. Go alone and tell someone about the sin that they've had against you. Now, if, he, if this person doesn't listen, verse 16, go again to them and take someone with you or take one or two others with you just so there's witnesses to this second conversation and you have the same conversation you give this person a second chance to turn around you give this sheep another opportunity to stop wandering astray and to turn around I love this process go first alone and then with a group of you just to have this conversation it's a conversation of love and kindness But if they don't repent this time, if they don't listen to the conversation this second time, the third stage, verse 17, take it to the church. One one reason we do church membership is to tell you all about who we are as the people of God and what we are as a local church. But another reason we do church membership 
is for this moment when this, these kind of things happen in church and someone is living a life of sin and refusing to turn around. They've, they've had the one-on-one conversation. They've had the two or three go and have a conversation and they're still continuing. They're unrepentant. They're not rece- they keep going in the direction they're going in, which isn't the direction that Jesus would have them go. And verse 17 says, take it to the church. And we have membership so that we don't have to stand at the front on a Sunday where there are bound to be visitors and new people coming in. We don't stand on a Sunday and say, hey, look, this person is doing this thing and going in this direction. And this person went and spoke to them. And then these two people went to speak to them and they're still going in this direction. We have membership so that we can have a, another place, a membership meeting where we can have those kind of conversations and say, this person is, is walking in the wrong direction. And we want to we go to them as a church and say, turn around, come back to Jesus, stop walking in that direction, stop living in that sin and come and be repentant and ask for forgiveness. And so that's step three is that is you take it to the church and the church responds together to someone who's walking in the wrong direction, who's a sheep wandering astray. This is what church discipline is, actually. It's us working together to love one another, to show kindness to one another. And remember, this comes after the parable of the sheep. So this process of of discipline within the church is a response out of love. It's being like the shepherd in the parable of the sheep. It's reflecting the care of the father with his angels looking out for Christian believers. A church without a system of discipline is a church that is potentially failing dramatically to love its members because it it doesn't have a way of dealing when someone's wandering away and going in the wrong direction. But we don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that when someone's wandering astray, we love them enough to tell them that they're going in the wrong direction and say, turn around, come back into the sheepfold, stop doing whatever that thing is that you're doing and come and love Jesus and worship and be amongst us again. We love people enough to have a system and a way of doing it. Fourth stage, and obviously the most serious stage, is if they are still unrepentant, Jesus says, treat this person as a Gentile and a tax collector. You essentially stop treating them like a Christian. You stop expecting them to repent of their sin and ask Jesus for mercy, and you start treating them like someone who is a non-Christian and is like a tax collector who were hated in Jewish society. Uh, so you treat them like an outsider for their good. There's an example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's sexual immorality in the church. And, P- and Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, if this sin continues, if this sexual morality continues, you need to hand this person over to Satan. That's the language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 5. You need to hand this person over to Satan. You need to treat them as a tax collector and a, a sinner. As a, you basically don't have anything to do with them. This is for their good, because Paul says, hand them over to Satan so that his spirit may be saved. In other words, the process of saying, actually, you're in such a bad place that we can't have you in the congregation of the church. We're handing you over to Satan. That process, God can use that to turn someone around. Someone can go, oh, I can't believe it. Even my Christian brothers and sisters are treating me differently. That used to be the place of grace and love. How, what, they're, they're treating me as an outsider? 
oh, I've realised I've just walked in the wrong direction for so long and they turn around. I, w- I wonder whether any you know stories of that, of people leaving the church, wa- wandering away and, and the church acting in a disciplined way towards them and that process turning them around and them coming back in repentance and mercy. I believe that this is what this process in Matthew 18 is all about. It's going through this process to bring the sheep back, hopefully stage one, but if not stage one, then stage two, bringing the sheep back in, into the church, into the love of God, into, into what they need to do. Step three, the whole church responding and saying you need to repent you need to turn around and step four saying well if you won't then we're going to treat you like a non-christian a gentile a tax collector you can't be a member of our church in fact we're kind of handing you over to satan in a sense hoping because we love you that you will turn back and come back into the sheepfold into the church churches must christians must have a robust way of dealing with sin. And the reason we must have a robust way of dealing with sin is because God cares for his little children and so must we. So must we. We love people enough to tell them when they're doing things wrong. We love people enough to do everything we can in this process that Jesus gives us to turn them around and bring them back to be a functioning, worshipping, joyful member of the church. There's a heavenly dimension to this process as well. If you look at verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall, uh, sorry, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this process on earth going on in the church, there's something being reflected in heaven as well. As you, as you bind someone or loose someone, set them free in a sense and send them away, that there's a heavenly aspect to that as well. The church functions as God's representative on earth. That's what that verse is about. It's about this membership process having a, not just an impact here on earth, but also a heavenly dimension, a spiritual dimension. I've got a video coming out in the week where I'll deal with that verse in more detail because it's a complicated verse. But I want you to know that when the church does discipline well on earth, there's a heavenly and spiritual dimension to that as well. So Jesus tells the parable of the straying sheep to say to us, to say to his disciples, God the Father loves you. He loves you. He cares for you so much. And you know, we're going to go out out from this place and we're going to do things wrong in our lives. This parable should remind us that when we stray, we can always come back. And there's always a celebration in heaven when we come back. And Jesus is the shepherd who's going out to bring us back time and time again. That's what it is to be a Christian, in a sense. Yeah, we get things wrong, but we come back to Jesus. And the Father has a party in heaven over and over and over again. So I want you to know, I want you to know that the Father loves you. I want you to know that we as a church try and show the love of the Father to everyone who comes and be, is in this place. And especially to those who will go through the membership course and be with us. We want to show that love. And that's why we've got, we will have a robust um, process to deal with sin, which is built off Matthew chapter 18, because we want to love one another and we want to grow together in holiness. I said two weeks ago that holiness is a community project. It's not just you trying your best by yourself with no people around you. Growing in Christlikeness is a team effort. We work together. And that's what Matthew chapter 18 in this passage, in response to the parable of the straying sheep, is all about. And I want to lead us 
in three responses as we draw to a close. Firstly, I want to speak to you if you are not a Christian. And I want to encourage you to heed the Luke chapter 15 version of this parable. That there is a party in heaven when someone who has been far from God turns and comes back and believes in Christ. The father throws a party. The shepherd, Jesus Christ, rejoices. You are so welcome to receive the mercy of God. Cry out to him today. Maybe you're watching online. We would love to see you and meet you here in the building. But you can turn to Jesus Christ now and put your faith in him. And he will receive you with love. That's what the Luke 15 verse of the parable of the lost sheep is all about maybe you're a christian and you feel like you've wandered you've not been to church for a long long time you've not been walking the christian walk you've not been loving jesus christ turn put your faith in jesus again ask for mercy and he will forgive you he will receive you and throw a party with joy for you because he loves you and he cares for you and so if that's you, if, that's, if you're like, yes, I want you to respond in that way during a moment of quiet, I'm going to lead us in in a second. I want there to be a response from Christians in the room as well. Are you despising other children of God? And especially I want you to reflect on, are there sins that you need to speak to others about? Is there things that you need to go through this process with? Have you been hurt? Do you need to have a conversation And just pray for yourself that you would have a warm heart and a loving heart such that you would be able to have quite a bold conversation with someone. It is quite a bold conversation to have with someone. But also you'd have a softness of heart so that when someone has this conversation with you, you are ready to receive them in love as another child of God. Are you ready to have that conversation? Because that's that's where I want us to be as a church. We've got soft hearts. We're able to have these hard conversations. We're able to receive people who are telling us that we've sinned, but also we're able to tell people warmly, gently and lovingly that they've sinned. Are you ready? Let's pray that you'd have a heart of softness, a gentle heart, a loving heart, where you're in that place. And the third response. I know there are people in the room in this category, but I feel there are some who know friends, family members, people that they love, especially children who once expressed faith in Jesus, but know that they are now wandering astray or or living in that place of this straying sheep in the parable. Perhaps the reason they're in that place is because Christians have despised them and not treated them the way they should. Or perhaps there wasn't this robust system, process of dealing with sin, and they sinned and no one said anything to them. So they kept sinning and they kept wandering and they kept going until actually... They were a long, long way from God and from the church. Maybe that's the reason they've strayed. Well, if you know people like that, then I want to invite you to pray for them. And I'm going to pray for those people. And if you want to continue in prayer, even after we've finished, then come to the front. I would love to pray with you in response to that, if that's where you are. Um, Or you can pray with someone nearby or you can pray quietly yourself. However you'd like to respond. I just feel like that is an appropriate response to this parable of the straying sheep. To pray for those who we know who are still straying and a long way off. So I'm going to lead us in a time of quiet where you can respond in any of those three ways and then I'm going to pray for us as the church and then we will close our meeting. I appreciate that this is, you know, it's the sort of message that needs to be preached. It's the sort of message that you, you think, oh, oh, church discipline and church sin, <laughs> like a hard message to preach. But this is Jesus teaching his disciples. Jesus thought it was worthy to get this child up the front and teach his disciples about this. So it's important that we as a church learn about this as well. So let's have a time of quiet response just for a minute or so, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer.
Guys, I just want to bring something to what Duncan said. Uh, first of all, I wish I'd been in a church that had brought out Matthew 18 and the process of disciplining sin uh, when I was younger. And it is to our great credit that we have such a man who is willing to bring you the difficult verses. Uh, and his motive is purely for love, for the best for us, and indeed to honour the law. I've been through this several times over the years when I've been leading churches, and I just wanted to just add a little bit of a, a little touch to little things that Duncan obviously hasn't yet experienced. I don't think you've gone through that yet. Now, praise God, and let's hope we never do. The first thing I just wanted to add to is that if I, if you feel I've sinned against you and you come to me and say, Jeff, you said this over coffee, and I say, well, I think you misheard me, you know, and maybe I don't specifically apologize. You need to be wise, obviously, to not think, right, I'm going to bring some mates. Because the, if you're not careful, it can become a question of I'm just wanting to win my point. So this whole process is not for every single instance where you may have been offended. Sometimes, you know, we've been offended. We need to get over it. Okay, there was an instance in the one church where somebody borrowed money and that had to go through the process because there was a massive issue about, you know, you owe me money and no, I don't. But a lot of other things were simply a misunderstanding and somebody wasn't satisfied that their apology was sufficient and it just got unnecessary. So you need to be wise with this, okay? So it's not that the coffee was cold this morning as we know it was. So, you know, Duncan's not going to necessarily apologize for that. But perhaps he ought to. <laughs> the second thing is, I just wanted to emphasize, and Duncan mentioned it, is this whole process that Jesus has given us is not to get rid of an awkward person. I've stood before the church and done this on a number of occasions and explained to the church what's been going on and the elders' decisions. It is because we love the person, and as Christians, we know the right path for them. Most situations have been immoral conduct uh, where people have been sexually immoral uh, have been pursuing re wrong relationships we've had to address that but it is painful for the church normally the person who's in the sin is a bit blasé about it all and they just think we're funny beggars but the truth is it's us who hurt this isn't to cause them hurt although it is in a sense to emphasize their sinfulness but it's us that hurt so this isn't done lightly at all this is done painfully and this is done over a process of time and situations and discussions. So in one case, it took six months before we got to that point, giving them every opportunity. But also, it's to protect the witness of the church, the public witness. Because if we're standing here preaching and teaching from the Bible about certain standards that God has, and yet in our church, we're ignorant or overlooking hypocritical standards amongst us, that, that can seriously damage our public witness, and indeed our children. So this lady who was sleeping around with these non-Christian guys, she was in the Sunday school. So the first thing we had to do was take her out of that because the children knew about all the different boyfriends she had. So, And then the next thing we did is we had to take her out of the home group. And the next thing we did is say, look, you're welcome to come, but you really shouldn't participate in communion because it's a little hypocritical. And then it just, she was just blasé, and eventually we had to say, I'm sorry, you're really not welcome. 
you're not to come to church. Now, it didn't mean we did the, forgive me if I got this wrong, the Jehovah's Witness thing and someone walks down the street and we, we turn, you know, and we don't talk to them. We, we weren't that rude, but we didn't fellowship with them. We didn't show them the benefits of being in the family of God. That lady never came to repentance until three years later, I met her at a Bible week and she was tearful, hugging me, sobbing, I wish I'd listened to you. She went through a terrible relationship. Eventually they split up. But praise God, she's back with him. But if we'd have ignored that, goodness knows what it would have done to the church. So I wanted to emphasize that to you guys, that this isn't just something where we, we get rid of an awkward person. This is painful, and it's to protect each and every one of us, and indeed God. And if you have any questions, I suggest you perhaps bring them up in your membership groups this week. Uh, uh, if not, come and talk to Duncan and he'll chat with you. Okay. I'm just going to finish by praying over us those three responses that I brought. Thank you, Jeff. That was really helpful. Um, so let's, let's pray together to end our time. Heavenly Father, thank you. We want to thank you for the amazing care and love expressed in the parable of the straying sheep and the fact that you have angels whose purpose is to serve and minister and guard us. Lord, it's so comforting, so wonderful to know how much you love us. I pray for us as a church and for us as individuals that we would have the same love for those people, even as they stray, Lord God. Give, Give us hearts of love for all. Give us hearts of love for all, those who are outside the church, but especially for those of us who are in Christchurch Fairham, we want to love one another as you love us. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who isn't a Christian. Lord, I pray they wouldn't feel unwelcome. They wouldn't feel put off by coming and, and asking for forgiveness and for mercy. But Lord, I pray you would turn them around. You would go out and rescue them and you would bring them into the fold and there'd be a party in heaven as someone comes to believe in Jesus Christ for the first time. Thank you that we were all once very, very far off and you rescued us and you celebrated our salvation even more than we celebrated our own salvation. That's how much you love us. Lord, I want to pray for Christians. May we have soft, gentle, warm, loving hearts to one another. May we be loving enough to have hard conversations and may we be soft enough to receive these comments about areas in which we've sinned so that we might grow in holiness Lord. I pray there wouldn't be pride in the way we receive comments but there would just be humility in the way we have these conversations Heavenly Father. And finally Lord I want to pray for the people who we know and love, friends and family members who are straying sheep right now, who are who who seem to be walking in direction that we wouldn't have them go. Lord, I pray that you would move in their lives powerfully. Even today, Lord God, I pray we would know a testimony, story of someone just, just would just like had a conversation with someone or just something in their life today really just impacted them in such a way that they turned back around and went back to where they were in worshipping and loving Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the people in this room who, whose hearts are hurting because they love people who are not in the church. Lord, I, pr- I pray for healing, but Lord, I pray that that hurt would always turn to prayer and faith in you over and over again. And so, Lord, we pray you to move mightily in the lives of our friends and family who are straying sheep and wandering away. Bring them back, Lord God. May we celebrate with them as they say again, I love, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Saviour and I'm going to follow him. Lord, I pray you would do that in the lives of us and, and in the lives of the people we love. 
And Lord, I pray you would make us a church of love and kindness towards one another. In Jesus' name, amen.